0: Support for this episode comes from The Current Report. From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux, so how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. If it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts. Support for
1: this podcast comes from another podcast. The world's most valuable resource, it's actually data. Our data, based on our behaviors, is frequently being gathered, tracked, stored, and sold. So what does this mean for us? Join host Rafi Krikorian for Season 2 of Technically Optimistic, where he'll take you on a deep dive into how our data is being used and what we can do about it. From social media feeds to foundational human rights, Gregorian leads us into territories both familiar and unexpected, with openness and genuine curiosity. New episodes of Technically Optimistic drop every Wednesday. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. This episode of Decoder is a little bit different. We're sharing the interview I did on stage at the Code Conference with Takedra Mawakana, the co-CEO of Waymo. This was a live interview in front of a live audience, and I have to say, I loved it. It was extremely fun to talk to someone in person after a year of podcasting from my basement. So that's the setup, but let's talk about Waymo. Waymo is working on self-driving taxis which is a huge deal. After all, take a step back. Have you ever thought about how easy it is to make a Toyota Camry appear? Like most people can just summon a Toyota Camry at will and get a ride to where they wanna go. Ride sharing apps like Uber and Lyft have remade cities with this capability. They've allowed people to give up their cars and generally connected the buttons you push on your phone to real things happening in the world more directly than almost any other app. Just this week, Bank of America's trading desk sent out an investor note saying Uber was the most transformational thing to happen to the phone in the past decade. But simply getting a car to show up and take you where you want to go isn't the end game. The end game is to make a robot show up to your house, a self-driving car. Self-driving cars promise to even more radically remake cities and suburbs, decrease overall car ownership, and let commuters take back hours of their time as they travel. It's a big dream. And we've talked to a lot of tech and car CEOs on Decoder about it in the past year. All of them are working on self-driving, but no one's really close yet. And then there's Waymo. Waymo started out as a quirky self-driving car project inside of Google in 2009. And then in 2016, it was spun out as an independent company under the Alphabet umbrella. Waymo has been quietly testing self-driving minivans in Phoenix for a few years now, and it's about to launch a pilot program in San Francisco. These cars are basically heavily modified Chrysler Pacifica minivans and Jaguar I-Pace SUVs that can drive themselves. Many Waymo rides happen without anyone else in the car. No safety driver, nothing. Just you and the robot. So, Takedra and I talked about expanding Waymo's service to other cities, the hurdles in place, where the technology is, and how she thinks the company will make money over time. We also talked about the regulatory issues the industry faces as it tries to roll out self-driving more broadly, and whether things like Tesla's quote-unquote full self-driving are confusing the issue or helping it. This was a really fun conversation. Like I said, I really miss talking to people in person. But fair warning, it's gonna sound like we're live on stage, because we were. Okay, Takidra Mawakana from The Code Conference. Here we go. Hi, I'm Neil Patel. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder. I'm doing a hot 35 on the importance of open standards. I'm not gonna do that, but I saw which ones of you panicked. It's all of you. Uh, no, I'm very pleased to be talking to, to Kedra Maokana, the co-CEO of Waymo. Welcome to Kidra.
0: Hello. Hi. How are you doing? Great. Yeah? Thank you for the warm welcome. Yeah, it's been very exciting. All
1: right, Waymo, self-driving cars. What's taking so long? <laughs>
0: So, um, we've been at it for a while. It's, I would say, the engineering challenge of our generation. That's what's taking it so long to do it and do it well and right. I think means one, safety has to be at the core of everything we do. Safety takes time. And then, secondly, we actually have to learn along the way. It's like a process of discovery. And so, what's funny to me is when I think back, you know, I joined Waymo almost five years ago. And when I think back, I'm thought, oh, product market fit's probably done, you know, it's ready to commercialize. And I realized, no, you actually have to put the technology into the real world. And that's how you get it ready. And so that's what we've been focused on doing and learning and receiving feedback from now writers in Phoenix.
1: I'm very curious to ask how that feedback's going. Uh, but you're new to this role. You only took it in April. April. You're a co-CEO, which is used to be kind of an unusual arrangement, now kind of like a trendy arrangement. What's the split with you and your co-CEO?
0: Yeah, so my co-CEO, Dmitry Dalgov, is one of the founders. So he's one of the people who've been working on this problem for his whole career. Um, he was the CTO before this role, I was the COO. And so we still focus primarily on the two areas that we know the best. I think about how you commercialize, deploy the technology, introduce it to communities, and he focuses on building the Waymo driver. And then we come together to figure out what's the best strategy? How do you sequence it? What's gonna be the rollout plan? And so it's going great. We have very different and complementary skill sets.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's the capability, what the technology can do, and then there's what you're allowed to do with it, which seems challenging at this yes. point in time. Uh, I ask this question of every executive who comes on Decoder, which is a plug. How do you make decisions?
0: How do I make What's decisions? What's your strategy
1: for making some of the complicated decisions you have to make?
0: So it's something that I've had to relearn in my time at Waymo. I like data. Mm-hmm to make decisions and I think when you're introducing a new technology, introducing a new business model, introducing consumers to an experience that's never existed before, it's really about um, getting comfortable when you have enough data and also getting comfortable with your own sort of gut. And so I say one of the things I think that people at Waymo who really enjoy it get out of it is this sort of reinforced sense of your own sort of internal guide That's what I use a lot now because it's pioneering. There isn't a playbook, no one's done it before. We're figuring it out as we go along. It requires a lot of humility um, and a lot of openness around learning. And so I learn, I listen, I make a decision. If it's not the right decision, we pivot and we keep going. And so really having the mindset that like this is a learning journey.
1: So the stakes are really high in this particular learning journey. Absolutely. People in robot cars going places, taking rides. I wanna talk about the technology and then I wanna talk about what kind of business you're gonna build with it. Yes. Let's start with the tech. Is the Waymo driver, is it ready? Could you just deploy it and give people rides right now? Are you, is that, is the bottleneck regulation and safety or is it, we're still working on it?
0: So the Waymo driver is in the world as we speak today. We have a service called Waymo One. It's in Phoenix, Arizona. Anyone who goes there can download the app. They will hail a ride. It'll take them from point A to point B. When the car shows up, it's empty. There's no one in the car. There's not a person in the car who's not driving. There's no one. And the wonderful thing about the service in Phoenix, Arizona is people get to have their own space. They're in there, you know, they get to have conference calls, do whatever they wanna do. So it's happening. I wanna say that, like the future is already happening. Now, in addition to that, we are- In like
1: a tiny part of Phoenix, Arizona.
0: In a 50 square mile territory, which is also the size of San Francisco. So <laughs> I, I've, I'm not gonna concede that it's tiny. Um, It is, though, yes, it is a specific jurisdiction that we're doing it in. That's the way to do it safely. Mm -hmm. And also, we have launched a trusted tester program in uh, San Francisco. So now residents of San Francisco are are having the chance to try out our service, too.
1: So do you think your core technology stack is, is done and it can be deployed at scale? Or are you still learning and testing that part of the system?
0: So yeah, I I think that's one of the ways in which this is quite different. It's not a one and done, and it's also not a get the technology up to a certain point and now we're ready to deploy it everywhere. Geographic sort of, you know, streetlights are different, weather is different. You know, there's a lot about each domain that's quite different. And so what you'll see us do and what you've seen us do now is now that we're operating in two fairly different environments, that gives our tech stack the opportunity to learn. You know, we've driven over 20 million miles on public roads autonomously across 25 cities, over 20 billion miles in simulation, which is quite important. And so this is the way the Waymo driver learns and all of that learning is shared across the fleet.
1: That area in Phoenix, which I grant you is quite large. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. The boundaries of that area have not expanded inside of Phoenix for quite some time. You're starting to launch in San Francisco. Should we see a faster ramp of market expansion now?
0: So I think the question is, what is the goal? Our goal in Phoenix- Push a button and a robot comes and get me. Yeah, Well, that's the goal for the, (laughs) that is the goal for the customer. Our goal in Phoenix was to learn, right? You know, malls have seven, 12 entrances. Which one do you expect to be picked up at? Because the reality is when you give us that address, we may not be at the one, and when there's not a human in the car for you to call or to call you, you know, what, is the, what are the operational challenges associated with actually having a fully autonomous service? So that's what we've been doing. So we haven't been expanding, we've been really taking the feedback from our riders and making the service more and more delightful. And that's what we're also doing in San Francisco. Now we have riders, some have lived in the city for a really long time, and they're excited to provide feedback to bring this technology to market.
1: Yeah, you're kind of describing, you said 20 million miles, which is Waymo's favorite statistic. You've got more than anybody else. But the problem you're describing is very local. It's a very small. Like you could get hundred million miles and you still might not know where the exit of the shopping mall is. Is that a challenge that you're splitting? Is are you attacking that differently?
0: Yes. So when we talk about the number of miles that we've driven, that's across all twenty five cities. And that's really important. I mean, you know, we've tested rain, we've tested heat in Sun Valley, you know. Um, snow, so those miles are training the driver for scenarios that we're not currently operating a service in. When I talk about pickup and drop offs or like the chaos of a parking lot, those are very specific to the service that we're offering and the feedback that we're getting. Yeah.
1: One of the big questions I have about the technology, which I, it seems to come up a lot, there are a lot of self-driving co- companies on various parts of the stack. Some of them are deeply integrated with cars some of them are kind of far away and they're just selling a sensor. You have a, you have a line, right? You're like, the main bulk of your fleet is modified Chrysler Pacificas. Now you've got iPaces. Do you think that you have a challenge of how the car itself changes once it can drive itself or are you happy to leave the cars to someone else?
0: We're really happy to partner with OEMs for the cars. Like you said, we've partnered with Stellantis and JLR They've been building cars over 100 years. We actually think figuring out how to make the driver safer mm-hmm. is a really exciting challenge, and so that's what we're focused on.
1: Is the, do you think of the actual wheels, drivetrain, crash impact stuff, is that a kind of a commodity to
0: you? No. Can I, you swap those in and out? I think the underlying base vehicle is in and of itself an evolving platform. And I think that's the way to think about it, right? I mean, right now we see all of this innovation around EVs and despite 100 years of internal combustible engines trying to become more efficient, You know, gasoline's only 25% and diesel 33, but it's now that we have EVs that Mm -hmm. it's over 95, right? So that's an innovative platform. It's just not the one we're focused on. The one we're focused on, I'd say, has three sort of sides of innovation. One is building the driver. Like, can you actually take the human out and have the car drive itself? Yes, we're doing that. It's very exciting. Second is, what are the business models that that unlocks once you can do that? And so we're focused on deploying the Waymo driver across three main lines of business today. And so that's Waymo One, which is ride hailing, as well as Waymo Via, which is long haul trucking, as well as local delivery. And then eventually, we will also focus on personal car ownership, which is when you license the technology. But then the third part of this innovation is actually being less comfortable with 40,000 people being killed on our roadways every year. I mean, like, really deciding that if 94 ish percent, give or take the debate, of those are caused by human error, then, like, we have the opportunity to innovate and remove the human from the equation, which means you don't rely on the human to sort of be alert at any point. So you don't need a driver's license. You get in the car and the Waymo driver takes you where you need to go safely.
1: We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about a company that comes up every time I talk to a car executive, Tesla.
0: Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Here's the story of innovation told in five words.
1: Try. Explore. Connect. Pivot.
0: Transform. See what happened there? As soon as Connect entered the story, innovation became achievable. That's why Deloitte works with clients and tech alliances to bring together the people, ideas, and technologies to overcome, solve, and, of course, transform. Connect to what matters for innovation. Start at Deloitte.com US Innovate. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
1: We're back. So, Takedra and I were on stage at the Code Conference. Right before she and I spoke, Kara Swisher had interviewed Elon Musk. So, of course, I had to ask Takedra about Tesla's full self-driving feature, which is very controversial. I wanted to know, is this helping or hurting the push to self-driving? Obviously we're on stage after Elon was on stage. Tesla has something called full self-driving, which is level two plus on this complicated scale of self-driving that no one understands. You're level four, you wanna to go to five. Do you think that the full self-driving driver assist stuff where people kind of tune out, is poisoning the well of the self-driving conversation at all?
0: So. Early days, we focused. I guess 2013, uh, the, the Google self-driving park car project focused on you know auto-assist technology. And what we learned in our experience is people trust the technology beyond its capabilities. And so we witnessed employees actually shaving and sleeping and plugging in you know sort of to the back seat, even though we told them that that's beyond <laughs> the capability. And so I think the problem is. Like we're human, and when we get in the car, we have other stuff to do. Like we're leaving home and we need to get to work, but like we have three emails we meant to send, but the cat ran out or the dog got locked, whatever, right? And so I think the problem is you have to give people the chance to just do what they wanna do, which is not focus on driving. And so what we're focused on, the reason we're focused on level four is we believe that is the only way to safely deploy this technology in a way that improves road safety, which is the mission that we were built on. And so it's a very different business model when you're talking about driver assist. I mean, I have that in my car, it makes me stay in the lane. It's delightful for what it is, but it isn't something that allows me to tune out.
1: You mentioned that one of the business models you'll pursue in the future is licensing the technology. Is that something you're actively gonna pursue with with car makers, buy the Waymo stack, put on your cars, take the steering wheel out, sell the cars, you're good to go?
0: Yes, we have already sort of announced uh, partnerships that we have along those lines, but we've been very open that like, you know, obviously if you buy a car, you want it to go everywhere, right? You, you want us to be able to say it's level five and you can go everywhere and you can sort of face any conditions. So it's naturally later, it's not soon.
1: Are you competitive in that market? You've some par- partnerships or other companies that are fully focused on it. Are you winning those deals or is everyone just signing the hey, we gotta have a bunch of suppliers, let's see who wins stage of that market.
0: I think that um, until people create a level four system, it's really hard to start negotiating viable deals about a level five capability. Mm -hmm. And so I can't speak to what people might be doing, but I know that there isn't anyone else offering a public service today with level four technology.
1: Would you license the level four system? I mean, there are Chrysler Pacificas and Jaguar iPaces. Is there some reason I can't buy a hot rotted self driving Chrysler <laughs> Pacifica today?
0: Yes, we would not license that. One, because as I said, it's a, you know we're in the process of learning, and two, you know we're operating it as a fleet. We're not licensing the technology, and then three, there is a map. I mean, you yourself said it's a particular jurisdiction, um, and so I think car makers would say to us that that's not really a viable product.
1: For we got a market of at least one, and I <laughs> okay. bet quite a few people in this room. <laughs> okay, who doesn't love the Chrysler Pacifica? Um, <laughs> Let's talk about the actual business, which is Waymo One and then the trucking business. Is that business baked? The revenue model set. You understand how it's going to scale. What have you learned operating it at the scale you have that you're going to need to change as you expand?
0: I think you know, one of the reasons that we do the early rider in Phoenix, we had an early rider program. Now we have the riders in San Francisco is actually learning what do people care about? Um, because I think one of the opportunities, everyone's thinking about like sustainable cities, right? Like what's the city of the future and how will EVs help shape that? And when you think about the trade-offs, like we want transportation on demand when we want it. The reality is that will lead to more congestion. So will people make trade-offs? You know, will people say, I'll take an additional eight minutes to get that car if it means it's not idling and congesting my city. And so we have a lot to learn about these sort of business models and that's what we're testing. And so I'm not gonna sit here and say, we've figured out, you know, all of the various sort of commercialization opportunities for the next 20 years, we're actually listening and seeing how people will value the service accordingly. And that's, yeah, testing pricing, I mean, all of the like normal corporate strategies, but really, really, having customers at the center of that.
1: Out of the data you've collected so far in Phoenix, what has surprised you the most about what customers want and what is a change you were not expecting to make?
0: I think one of the surprises for me has been the communities of people who feel very excluded from transportation today. And so, and they're on, I'll say, I'll just give two examples that are on two different ends of the spectrum. One are people who've had to have their driver's license take away or their keys taken away because they're older. And so they, now those families are like, oh my goodness, we get to avoid that conversation. Because that's a, that's a tough time. And yeah. then on the other end, it's, you know, we partner with the Foundation for Blind Children, and these are kids who like, their 16th birthday doesn't mean the same. Yeah. And so really giving people independence where they don't need mom or dad or girlfriend or boyfriend to carry them around has been a delightful surprise.
1: Have you had to adjust pricing? Is it, are people willing to pay what you thought they were gonna pay?
0: People are willing to pay. We have a lot of demand. We have, you know, we don't use our entire fleet for the customer service, right? We're still using the fleet also to advance the Waymo driver. And so we have demand beyond the supply that we're offering in the market.
1: One of the reasons I ask about the pricing question is, and you and I have briefly talked about this before, once you get to self-driving cars, and if you have ever ridden one, it is remarkably boring by design. Once you get to that stage, what is gonna differentiate you from every other self-driving robo-taxi service that exists?
0: Yeah, right, value proposition, (laughs) right? I mean, we as consumers, we go to the experience, that's the one we think is the best. It's certainly not only because there's one, and so that's some of what we're thinking about right now. I mean, when people get into uh, Waymo One, One of the early observations we made, despite the fact that you can get into a ride hailing service and take over their music, people don't, like it's a very small percentage of people who want to do that because it's your car that I've just entered, I'm sitting in the back seat, you're in the front seat, you're driving me, I'm only gonna be in your car for three minutes. People get in the Waymo One, they immediately start playing their own music. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's their space and they have this privacy, they can get on a phone call, they're not speaking cryptically, et cetera. And then for people who wanna like safely get their kids home after they've been pub crawling in Chandler, uh, they're able to do so. They're they're 20 plus year, 21 plus year old kids, just to be clear.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, if this technology is available for sale from you or other suppliers, Uber will have it, Lyft will have it. The drunk kids coming home from Chandler are not they're just gonna take a car home, right? And what will make them pick you? What will keep your price high relative to everybody else?
0: So I think one of the premises of your question is that everyone will have it because everyone will have solved this problem Mm -hmm. versus everyone will have it because a few companies will solve this problem and then those will be our partners. And so I think it's a, I think it's, I would think of this as, you know, one, like how, how will we win? we will actually figure out how to scale this driver. And once you figure out how to scale this driver, the question will be will we try to solve every sort of mobility opportunity directly or will we partner? And we've already shown an appetite for partnering. In Phoenix, we have a partnership with Lyft and we've put some of our cars in their fleet, and that's giving us the chance to see the difference between when someone opens a Waymo app, and they know they're gonna receive our service, versus when someone opens a Lyft app, and then they're told, hey, you know, there may be this opportunity to take this ride. Are you open for that, yes or no?
1: But I, I, why don't I keep pushing this a little bit, yeah. right? That, that moment is still surprising, right? You open a Lyft app, one of the greatest innovations of the past decade is you can summon a Toyota Camry at will in anywhere in the world. But when that experience turns into the robots coming to get you, obviously that's surprising. But if you look 10 years from now, and the robot's always coming to get you, how do you solve that challenge?
0: You know, the way that I think about this, you make me think about when I was in law school, I lived in New York and my mom was in Atlanta and we talked on the phone and I paid long distance phone bills. Um, and maybe that's just really dating myself, but like it was a lot of phone bills. And I thought about this recently, like nothing's really changed about the phone, right? I mean, obviously now they're smartphones, but the reality is the entire business model now is about how do I just stay connected to loved ones with my smartphone, without monthly charges, without long distance charges, without these limitations. And so I think the question that you're asking is like, how do you make sure that what you're creating is de- delightful enough that it feels like a change and it feels like an innovation? And that's what we're focused on. I think when I'm in a Waymo car and I all of a sudden, one, it's a consistent experience. We own the fleet. I get in the Jaguar i, I It's a beautiful ride. It's clean. I know exactly what to expect. I play my own music. Look out however many years, what is that car gonna like tell me about me when I get in because I've been using it so often. What does it know about my route? Where do I tend to go on Friday nights? What do I like in my coffee? I mean, there's so much to think about from a commercialization perspective. Um, and it's, it's really what keeps me excited.
1: So there's an exciting version of that. <laughs> I'm duty bound to ask you about the other version, which is the car rolls up, it has no steering wheel, it's full of screens, and like advertising is playing at you. Like, is this all an effort to just like make more Google advertising in- inventory?
0: <laughs> that's certainly not what I spend any okay. of my time focused on. I mean, we are heads down focused on this and the business model. I mean, when you talk about like, I mean, when I think about the vehicle form factors of the future, I'm thinking about us doing code in a car where we're facing each other over a dining room table. Like that's exciting to me. Um, and so cert- that's not what I'm spending my time thinking about. And I love that you're duty bound to ask, so thank you.
1: We're going to take another break, but we'll be back with more from Tahedra. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write, it works fast generating texts in seconds thanks to ai
0: common side effects include increased productivity compliments from coworkers feelings of satisfaction
1: now i can say bye bye to writer's block
0: ask your boss if canva magic is right for you at canva.com designed for work canva. we're back i mentioned at the top
1: that waymo started out as a part of google and then it was spun out into its own company it's now owned by google's parent company alphabet so I was curious about the relationship between Google, Alphabet, and Waymo. What is that
0: relationship to Google like? The week Waymo spun out from Google's, the week that I interviewed. You know, they said, Alphabet's going to be here. We're going to support you. That has been my experience since joining. Obviously they're our lead investor. We took external funding last year for the first time and again this year. and even having these world-class investors that have expressed confidence in us, having Alphabet as our primary investor and supporter has been invaluable.
1: So obviously Sundar Pichai is now the CEO of Alphabet and Google. When was the last time uh, Larry and Sergey came by and just checked in on Limo?
0: <laughs> um, you know, Larry and Sergey drop by whenever they'd like, whenever they'd like, but we've all been sheltering. We've all been sheltering. So it's not as common experience as it was before COVID.
1: Are they taking an active interest in the business? Always. I wanna ask you about regulatory issues. We were both ex-lawyers. I made sure we didn't burn the whole 25 minutes on regulation. What are the blockers right now? Are our governments ready for this? Do they have the frameworks in mind to do this right?
0: Yeah, I think at every level of government, they're figuring it out. Um, in the US, I think you know, NHTSA has had a voluntary framework, primarily, and uh, at the state level, every state is a little different, but most of them are motivated for figuring out how to do it, how to enable it, how to enable it safely with varying degrees of concern Um, at the state level, and same thing at the city and local level. So when you look at, you know, in Arizona, for example, we had a executive order that we were operating under for those initial years. And then in the legislative session this year, uh, Waymo and the policy team led the charge to get that sort of uh, through the legislature and codified into law. And so that's just one state. There are a lot of examples like that. And I think, you know, there's a sort of bipartisan recognition that this train is pulling away from the station. The question is how, not whether.
1: Do you think things like, uh, you mentioned So they've got a proposed standard for crash reporting out of autonomous vehicles. Do you think that goes far enough? Do you think that needs to be standardized? Is that a differentiator for you if there's everyone's talking about how safe their cars are?
0: You know, I think that a holistic approach to how our companies able to establish their safety sort of case would be ideal, and I say that because all of our technology is going to be different. To some degree, if you put a multiplier and you say, you know, you have to you, you have to report how are you assessing safety within your technology and make it available to the public. And so that's what we've done. Last October, we issued information about the crashes that we've had in Phoenix. And the reason we did that is we wanted to build not only confidence but also show that our technology performs better than humans under those same scenarios.
1: Cars and tech are a pretty male-dominated field. You now run a, one of the leading self-driving car companies. You're trying to change regulations to enable your business to succeed. How has this been for you?
0: It's been the ride of a lifetime. <laughs>
1: We're done. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Um, I tried my best.
0: <laughs> sorry, I just couldn't, sorry. I mean, really, it has been, it's, it's sorry, it's, um, you know, no two days are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really creative problem solving, which is something I love, and, um, and it's a fantastic team of people who want to make a difference in the world, and so it's a great way to spend the days.
1: But for you personally, you think the space is opening up to be more inclusive?
0: Um, I think we have work to do. I think we have work to do, and I, um, and we're focused on that.
1: Very cool. All right, let's see if we have any questions. Ina, see you back here. No, she's cruising by the mic. <laughs> there we go. Here's one.
0: Hi, Charlene Chang from Vox Media. Um, you're in Phoenix and San Francisco. Are there other markets you guys are looking to test in, and are you looking to test different terrains, climates, things like that? Yeah, we have tested other, so we've tested, like I said, some snow in Detroit as well as thunderstorms in Miami, but we haven't launched an actual service that riders would be able to use in any of those jurisdictions yet, and we haven't made any sort of public announcements about what's coming next.
1: Let me follow up on that. Do you think you can run this thing in Denver in the snow? Like, are you, are you ready for is Have you tested that stuff such that you're confident you can do it when it's time?
0: Um, No, no. It's early days for that. I mean, yeah, it's early days, it's a vehicle platform question also, and so that's why you don't see us sort of putting riders in the cars in those jurisdictions yet. Yeah.
1: Any other questions for Takedra? Okay, thank you very much. delightful talking to you. Thank you. Thank you again to Takidra for taking the time to talk today, and thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of the show. You can email us at decoder at or hit me up directly. I'm at Reckless on Twitter. If you like Decoder, please share it with your friends. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like the show, give us that five-star review. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by Creighton Simone, Alexander Charles Adams, and Andrew Marino. We are edited by Callie Wright. Our music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. We'll see you next time.
0: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals.